This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 15th of October 2019. And, uh, well, yeah, Dave is still here as well, aren't you? Um, I think so. I, I'm just checking. I'm looking around. Yep, pretty sure I'm here. Because I'm not sure if I really need you because we've got guests. Ugh, I see. <laughs> Replaced so easily. Yes, I mean, it's a bit pain in my heart, but since you're no longer doing the kneeling thing and not begging for YouTube subscribers anymore, and that's largely due to our guests, um, I'm kind of wondering what use are you, but uh, I'm, still, I'm still happy you're here, you know. Okay, okay, I'm glad that, that, I'm glad that's where we ended up. <laughs> yep, but let's introduce our guests. Hi, Niels. Hi, Carlo. Hi. Hi. So, Niels, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, hi. Uh, so I'm Niels. I'm currently uh, working at uh, AE as a technical consultant. Um, um, I'm also a uh, architect and uh, founder at Quarry, which is a small startup actually growing within AE itself. And uh, Carlo, how about you? Hi. Uh, yeah, so my name's Carlo, and I've been uh, helping consultancy firms for the, for a while now in establishing a mature information management offering. Um, so typically going from everything that a DM book covers, but also the technical part, the fun part, while we're here today, obviously. And uh, um, I've been doing that for AE, the company that uh, Niels has had for the, for the last uh, five or six years. Fantastic. So we, uh, we invited you here today as uh, you guys are responsible for the uh, the final tipping point of us uh, reaching our 100 YouTube subscribers. So we wanted <laughs> to uh, give you a, a special thanks for that and invite you on our, on our news episode. So, uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time and thanks for joining us. And thanks for me no longer having to beg for YouTube subscribers. <laughs> we were getting a we'll bit miss it a bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Come on, it was the highlight of every episode. Come on. This is true. In the end, you started doing it at the end of the episode. So that was actually a smart move because then everybody had to listen all the way up to the end. <laughs> to hear that special thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. You have to know where the value is in these things, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Well done. <laughs> well, anyway, we invite you guys on a news episode. So we're not going to be doing an interview with you at this point in time anyway. Maybe in the future we will. Um, but we have some news articles we're going to discuss. And you are happy to join us discussing those things. Anything else you want to say before we go into the articles, Dave? I don't think so. Let's get into the most terrible idea I've heard about this morning. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, this is always a fun time when you start looking for articles to talk about on the podcast and you read something where you kind of read the article and then you read it again and you still don't get it in your head. And if you want to have an example, this is a beautiful one. Building a relational database using Kafka. And uh, to be clear, when we're talking about this, we're not talking about... You know, K-SQL, which I also think is a terrible idea, but I, I can kind of understand <laughs> yeah. why you might have that. K-SQL is where you write SQL queries against your Kafka queue. That's, mm -hmm. that's not what we're talking about here. No. This is Robert Yokota, who wrote a kind of big blog explaining how he actually built a SQL relational database inside a message queue system, which is what Kafka is. And I'm not going to go through the article itself, because basically the article, if this is something you want to do, then this article is a pretty good article. It explains it with code examples and everything. But when I read this, I was kind of, I mean, the question came up, why would you want to do this? And I thought it was a good idea to just talk about this concept of why would you build something 
in an existing product that is not fit for that, whatever it is you want to do, well, there's already a million things out there that do that perfectly, more or less. I mean, is there ever a reason why you would want to do this? So I, I've been I've been scratching my my head and it's it's bleeding now and <laughs> I'm still a little bit puzzled. The only thing I can think of is like if you've got if let's say an organisation has stood up some existing infrastructure based around Kafka and like that's that's all they have that's their whole business runs on this message queue. They've got things writing to it, consuming from it, and all that sort of stuff. But they, they their core infrastructure that's what it is then i guess maybe you could make the argument that instead of standing up separate infrastructure you could you could or should use something that you already know or already familiar with but it's such a weak argument in my (laughs) mind do you know any any company that actually actually gets close to having that kind of expertise or reliance on, on, on a Kafka without having mm-hmm. the, the pretty easy skill in comparison of, of mastering relational database systems. No, no. I know of nobody <laughs> quite that insane. <laughs> Are you denying you know me? Well, I mean, I'm that even you're I'm, not quite I wouldn't do this, insane. but I'm insane. Uh, Neil, do you want to say something? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my thought was also replace it by something you know. That's yeah, maybe that would be a good argument. But when I look a bit further into the uh, explanation of the article, it says the database by components, and he ex- he explains everything that he's using. And there's actually a whole lot of moving parts uh, <laughs> in there that, and some of them I've never heard of even. Uh-huh. Apache Omit, Apache Avatica. Mm-hmm. I never used those. I've never heard of those. So it's. Actually, kudos to the guy for actually yep. t- knowing them very good. Um, but it's not such a simple setup anymore. So indeed, if you want to replace it by something you know, then the trade-off between the energy you have to put into it to actually build it v- versus the ease that you can you can have by using something off the shelf, it should be worth it. And I think here it's a big investment to, to do something like this. Yeah. And it, it also, the, the thing that, Again, I was scratching my head again, and, and now it's bleeding again. Is that it's the very last, or nearly the very last um, sort of paragraph mentions that? Uh, so the the project is called Carol DB, K A R E L D B, um, is designed as a single node database, which can be replicated, but it is not a distributed database. It's just a plain <laughs> old relational database. Doesn't handle stream processing. So, uh, <laughs> what do you need Kafka for then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh God! But, um, but this, yeah. this is something you actually do see a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, with commercial products, where somebody and even sometimes they originated in these uh, open source communities, but they have a product and they've been able to market it somewhat successfully to make it do this particular thing. And then you have that grow and expand idea. We have to now see how yeah. we can make this thing installed in more places, which means you have to do more work to get more customers or have one customer do more with our product. So let's cram as much functionality in there, regardless if it makes sense or not. I mean, that's that's something that happens quite often, right? I mean, yeah. like a sprawl of, of functionality is definitely something that, that happens a lot. And I mean, you also get this... 
you know, it's sadly still very prevalent in, in the open source world, this sort of n- not invented here syndrome where people, there might be something that is perfectly fit for purpose, but they'd rather go and build their own version that is 99% identical to the other thing that already exists. But that 1%, well, you know, that, that's enough. I'll go and, I'll go and build it. Um, so I, I think it's kind of a mixture of those kind of sentiments that are, that are happening here, but yeah that's ac- that's yeah, actually a symptom that we see a lot as as a consultant as well we go mm. into into the project at, at a certain customer and the first one of the first things that we see is ah yes we like the principles of project x and y but we actually built our own version of it because <laughs> we needed customized like this and that and my first reaction is always ah so what makes you this very unique snowflake mm. and there there I've, I've never heard a very good reason for it yeah. yeah, and maintenance is always a problem when you do this, right? Because the moment you start, yeah, I just wanted it, to say it. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the point when we get in. And they said, and now we're having problems in, in getting it upgraded because there's a security <laughs> patch. And we say, well, the solution is pretty simple. Maybe you should think about using it how it's intended, and not start customizing it and thinking you can do it better or or mm-hmm. or different, and and then having problems maintaining it. Yeah. Is this something that is happening more or less in your, uh, in your how you see it? Because I can imagine in the olden days when a black box product was built that did one thing the way the producer made it work, then you had to conform or try to build something yourself. But in open source, I would expect there's a lot more flexibility. And since open source is pretty much at the basis of any kind of commercial software out there at the moment, I would expect, yes, you have more opportunity to do the, 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 to do the build your own thing but less of a need to do it? I mean, how do you f- see that evolving? No, I, I think that's a spot on. I think it's it's the crime of opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> coming from a, a world where uh, an SAP has everything integrated, it's it's a lot harder to to commit these kinds of crimes, uh, although they <laughs> were committed there as well with, with customizations, but it's it's easier. And and there's a, the, the permutation of an ecosystem, if, if I can call it that, just a... It's very difficult to find exact cases of the exact same ecosystem, all the choices of open source tooling. So you kind of quickly feel like a unique case where you feel a need to customize stuff your own way. Um, While if you just look at what what is the 80-20% rule, uh, what's the 80% that a lot of people are using uh, together as an ecosystem, I think you get a lot further. But it's it's easier now to, to digress from that, I think, yeah. Yeah, true. And one thing uh, amongst there as well is is um, all of those open source tools, they come from a certain vision, a certain architectural principle that is being followed. And if you don't catch that principle, then you can use all of the tools, but you're going you're gonna to integrate and use them in a wrong way. You have to be, so if you use a Kafka, for example, you have to be aware of how stream processing works and, and what a Kappa architecture could be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of customers don't have that kind of experience yet, so they have the tools there and they just don't know what to do with it. It's like a dog chasing cars and they finally catch one. <laughs> and then they're just like, oh, what do I do now? What do I do now? I don't know. And they just start, indeed, they start experimenting and start building stuff on top of it and then suddenly you've built you've built Carl DB. <laughs> 
that, that, that how it seems. <laughs> it seems as a techie, I would look at it and think like, oh, that's interesting. If I have some nights <laughs> off, on, which uh, happens never, uh, it, it would be really interesting to, to go go through that, some new technologies in there and interesting mm-hmm. to see as a, as somebody that has to offer a mature offering to, to customers. I don't see myself walking into a CXO office and saying like, now we've got it. We're just going to replace all your relational database systems with Kafka and everything is solved. So it's, it's a different world, I think, yeah, from the perspective mm-hmm. of, of looking at it from a technical point of view. It's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> is there a need for it? No, no probably not. But a different discussion, probably. I'm going to flip it around. Because now we're talking about an example where a, I'm going to call it a NoSQL solution because Coffee is a streaming thing, but they're closer to NoSQL mm-hmm. than to SQL, I think, where a NoSQL uh, solution builds in some kind of SQL stuff. The reverse <laughs> has been happening a lot too, because uh, I used to work at Microsoft, so I know this, and other people do as well. MS SQL has NoSQL components in there now. There's a key value yep. store and all these things. So they're just as, and I'm speaking on Microsoft because that's the one I know, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Oracle, all the other guys do the same thing because they need those speed layers in there. So they're doing pretty much the same thing, but taking something that's clearly not fit for a NoSQL environment and pushing NoSQL in there as well. And apparently that is seen as acceptable and normal. Yeah, but isn't I? I sometimes have to give training to to consultants, and and then you start talking about getting rid of the buzzwords and and just talking about what are the the underlying technologies. And as you say, it's pretty. And then you have a, a Microsoft SQL expert in the audience, and you say, well, this is what it means to be. We don't talk about NoSQL, but the technologies, column family stores, key value stores, document stores. What what makes them tick? What makes them different? And yeah, you get that remark. But wait a second. If if that's what a column store is, that's what we've been doing with indexing uh, in Microsoft SQL Server as well for years now. And and. Yeah, if in my head, I think it's just it will stay the name uh, uh, SQL Server, but under the hood, it it goes into a broader offering. What what needs to go to customers and what what the different use cases mm-hmm. will be, whether that's a product next to it, whether that's integrated, and then it's just more of a marketing term. What needs to be in it and what need what doesn't need. If if you look at it, you. you I, I don't know your inside look from like a, the the editor of the Microsoft point of view, but it's it doesn't feel like a a, a wrong fit there. Mm-hmm. It, it's it definitely serves a, a correct purpose where, where you have use cases where it definitely has benefits over just staying on the relational part. It it adds to the product. I, I feel. Yeah. But is that then just because SQL has been around for so long and has been doing so much, and everybody sees uh, SQL as bread? Sure, you, you put butter on bread and marmalade and jam or whatever, but you're never going to put bread on butter. Just that the conceptually it feels different. I don't know. I'm just I'm reaching my metaphors here. <laughs> yeah. <my> metaphors. <laughs> yeah, the I, I just I probably will. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like a market share. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, I mm. think so. Yeah. So can we put any conclusion on this or are we just agreeing that we still have the why question? <laughs> Yeah, the, Please the, stop. The, it has the last, the last <laughs> sentence. <laughs> the last sentence is it's still in its early stages, uh, and and then if you ask the why question, you think, well, well, it, it'll probably never go to a, a non-early stage. It's a, it's a good technical exercise, but there's no yeah, real need to to further this any more than this. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've but just kudos, had a great I, I thought. So. 
Oh God, no! This 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 could be this could be a great um, kind of interview practical exercise. Build us a SQL relational database on Kafka. Go, and and then yeah, you know, just, just see yeah. how. Yeah, there you go. I, I found it how good do you know the pr- the principles of? So if if it's an exercise in that, then yeah, sure, why not? But just yeah, don't go good. public with it. Keep it keep it for yourself. <laughs> keep it secret. Keep it safe. <laughs> the one database to rule them all. Uh, I'm writing that one as we speak, so don't talk about it. Yeah, it's mine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right then, moving on, moving on. So our next article uh, comes from our, our fabulous guests at Corey, who are talking about uh, a white paper they came across: six reasons to start the cloud native transformation. Um, so, guys, what what piqued your interest in this particular uh, white paper? We noticed it's it's uh, written by WeaveWorks, so they're really mm-hmm. into the Kubernetes and pretty advanced with with the whole GitOps exercise and and uh, really like a, a front runner in in that entire movement. Um, and the first thing that piqued our interest was that it started out with with the motivation. That seems like a motivation we had to give to. Uh, companies like six or seven years ago uh, discussing why would you consider cloud or a, as a part of your strategy or having to make that movement and it was just really uh, a, a bit of a, a reality check uh, I think from your podcast as well the audience that you talk about and, and the, the skills that you assume where, where the market is at, at, at the current moment apparently it's not it's uh, you really still have to make that kind of argumentation about basic principles, um, even in, in a specialized white paper from a WeaveWorks and a GitOps uh, world and Kubernetes uh, uh, monitoring. Uh, so it's it's uh, that was the first thing that piqued our interest. Thought interesting to discuss that. So that that's specifically around like the the point two where they talk about the benefits being increased increased agility and productivity, scalability, reliability, local cost, lower costs. Sorry attracting and retaining talent and reduced vendor lock-in. Um, isn't it kind of... So one of the things you mentioned is that this is sort of very similar to just the the kind of arguments that you'd made for cloud. But actually, isn't this the same, or aren't these the same arguments that people have been making at every single technology <laughs> kind of leapfrog ever? Like virtualization, <laughs> oh, increased yeah. agility and productivity, scalability, reliability, lower costs, blah, blah, blah. Um, open source. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, All of these things. The like, wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome yeah I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it's fire. Lowest costs, you know. No more of this. Uh, no more of this pesky having to eat um, entire buffaloes. I can cook them; they last longer. Um, yeah, I. It, on the one, yeah, buffaloes. You know, large Britain, hairy right? beasts. Yes, yeah, we have plenty <laughs> of, uh, of the buffalo, hairy yeah. buffaloes. Oh yeah, no, they're, they're roaming in the garden. It's terrible. They're eating all the vegetables. Um, but it, it's <laughs> on the one hand, it like they make then good arguments that are specifically around uh, their sort of GitOps and DevOps and and that sort of thing. But the the headlines to <laughs> me just really scream the the exact same kind of methods and kind of messaging that that marketing organisations for technology companies have been talking about forever. Is is that is it just me? No, no. That's- <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, exactly. No, I agree totally. And I think the one thing that is missing from this paper then, so they, they give six reasons to start. Uh, there, of course, aren't any reasons why you wouldn't do it. And I think one reason, and as you say, this is also applicable to every major uh, technical leapfrog mm. that's been that's been done, is the technical complexity that comes along with yep. it. So first you had SOA, you had you have the whole uh, now you have the whole cloud native thing, uh, the virtualization, Kubernetes, containerization, everything, the microservices as well. So suddenly all of our customers all want to jump into microservices, and one of the first things that we that we tried to discuss with them. There were actually some very good talks about this at uh, at, the, mm -hmm. at uh, Google I/O. I think uh, there were some uh, about why why would you do this? Why would you invest in building something like this when you know that the technical complexity is going to go up by a tenfold? And I think this this is some this is something that's that's generally not being taken into that's account. Really, yeah, enough. that's really interesting. I I, I find especially the, the microservices conversation, a really difficult one to have with some organizations, especially in my previous life, not so much in my current. But it's it's one of those, yeah. you know, you see people jumping on the bandwagon with, you know, and, and sort of developers and engineering leads getting all very excited about, you know, completely re-architecting everything <laughs> they do into microservices and, talking about the you know the inherent flexibility it's going to give them and it you you sometimes and again at least in my experience you need to do a bit of a reality check to say well yes this you know microservices is all very cool all very hip all very of the moment but what is the actual what's the business problem that you're trying to solve with this technology is microservices actually the answer? You know, do you get into the, any of those conversations? Yeah, uh, yeah, we sometimes do. Yeah, Ex absolutely. But most of the time, the the whole microservices story is actually, yeah, considered more from a, a technical standpoint. Um, so really, I don't know. I think I think the the business discussion about microservices is always going to be about getting into mm. market faster. Being more agile, agile being, being more flexible. flexible. It's, I think that's always going to be the case. It's not. It's not a very yeah. business specific uh, thing. So it's just like the, the, the best, best practices of having an agile IT department behind you and and the stuff that the the com the competence that that uh, that it gives you. I think that's that's the main reason there. Uh, but from a technical standpoint, the the most of the discussions is actually just pointing to customers who say, "Ah, oh, we're totally not mature." Uh, we have no maturity in, in this or this or this. Uh, so like, uh, uh, we, we don't do DevOps yet. So uh, you know what? We want to start off with uh, microservices because that's going to help us getting there. And then we most of the time we say, uh, no, that's just the other way around. You need to have a certain level yeah. of maturity before you should even consider going there. And I think that's just, uh, yeah, that's something I, I think, think uh, uh, is, is to blame due to the, the yeah. <laughs> the buzzword yeah. influence, right? Are you saying technology won't solve my problem? <laughs> we, we would never. Not always. Never. I think technology will cause you a lot of problems sometimes. I think that's that's the the, the whole yeah, it's uh, true. Uh, point beneath it is when you when you start talking in in more of these platitude level kind of statements um, that you can argue both ways. Uh, one of the points they make is reduced vendor lock-in. 
and I think in one of your previous episodes you discussed it as well. Like, is the new lock-in then considered to be cloud, or how do you look at that? So yeah. it's you can start arguing both ways, and with microservices as well. I think when are you ready? You introduce the complexity of of asynchronous communication. Are you ready for that? Do you do you know what just that that simple fact mm-hmm. means? And and yeah. uh, from an information management point of view. Uh, microservices as an application field uh, or, or an engineering and software engineering field uh, that that's that's okay to, to draw it out like that but then the underlying question well it typically depends on a lot of information that just needs to be there uh, throughout the entire organization and really the practical problem of uh, does that mean that you're you to be become state uh, stateless and and uh, operate in your own um uh, in your own right, uh, do you have uh, caching mechanisms to have uh, um, so, some sort of a buffering mechanism? Uh, how do you split up your information domains to have data flowing through it? It, it creates a lot of other words where it's, <laughs> like John says, that we, we laugh with it a lot. Like it's not a technology that solves it, it's the maturity of, of just being able to assess what the right fit is for your problem and, and not yeah. the other way around. Uh. Yeah, I also actually have a problem with just equating cloud native with microservices. I mean, I can be totally cloud native by using a lot of SaaS services. That's being cloud Mm. native. Are you telling me that when I use Salesforce, that's not a monolith? From my point of view, it's a huge monolith. (laughs) A horrible one as well. (laughs) And now a lot of people working with it, nobody likes it, but that's maybe just me, I don't know. (laughs) But, I mean... From that point of view, true. you're not doing anything no, with microservices yourself. And I would actually say that using, if you don't totally base your organization on only SaaS deliverables, you could be said to be more cloud native than when you're deploying microservices somewhere. Right? Wrong? Maybe. Absolutely. I think that's that's one of the, the big uh, keys throughout the, the paper is that they really, a number of these terms are all mixed. And uh, DevOps you can you can have best practices that are very DevOps related before the buzzwords arrived, and and having that that you did on prem as well. So a lot of the benefits uh, can be uh, really assigned here to, to cloud native, but not necessarily per definition does it need to be like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. And going containerization. Uh, the scalability and flexibility there's, there's some parts of it that are a more natural fit with cloud mm-hmm. but there's nothing to say that you can already have the maturity in, and the VMs in your data center mm-hmm. and going over to containerization and, and yep. making that a logical next step so it's yeah that's something that in the entire article there are very valid points in there but I wouldn't contribute them to just being cloud native the, the entire time mm-hmm. so I think you're you're very right it's a mm-hmm. difficult discussion though mm-hmm. I think <laughs> even for p- people working with it day in day out um, to make that distinction yeah actually uh, microservices what does it mean uh, it's one of those old style TV shows right because if I have a typical web application front-end back-end database <laughs> and I decouple them with message buses is that microservices yeah, very light maybe, but <laughs> yes, I guess. Is is the database built on Kafka? Is the only <laughs> question I have. You we were not yes. going to talk about yeah. that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> then it is definitely a mar- just drop it, Dave. Just can't. drop it. I can't. I'm still bleeding. Um, so <laughs> how how do Let you? Go. I suppose that that's the, one of the questions, though, isn't it? Is how do you define microservices? How do you when when have you gone from 
a monolithic architecture to a microservice? How do you how do you sort of decide that you're you've reached that boundary? Everything is a lambda function. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, There's God. a lot of discussion around that. Yeah, <laughs> moving from like a domain-driven design point of view, where you you cut up in in domains at least, and then uh, I think in in general, people agree that uh, coming from the services-oriented architecture there, that already business services uh, connected to domains was, was some sort of the granularity. And then microservices, everyone said, well, it's micro, so it needs to be a, 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 a more detailed level, a, a better granularity than, than uh, the business services. But exactly where do you end? Yeah, I think that's... Uh, it's a very practical question, uh, and I, I can I think it's it, the more relevant question here is uh, what what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Why why are you looking at my, why do you think that's going to be an answer to to some of your problems? Then tell us what the problem is and yeah. tell us why you think cutting things up uh, maybe sometimes to a ridiculously uh, small level isn't the the best answer to it. Uh, and then you land somewhere in the middle, subdomain, but not <laughs> micro, really micro, and uh, uh, thousands and thousands of services. It was probably too small. Uh, so, yeah, it's a difficult practical question, I think. I think some of it comes from, like, if you've got application and database, I think technically, I think that could be microservice. But I, I one of the questions is, if you've got... You know, if you've got an application that serves multiple functions, and you know, but you've still got a single application layer, and you've got a database layer that contains multiple individual databases, then I think, by the definition, that that is still considered monolithic. I believe if you've got if you break those applications out. And if you break out the databases, then I think that is considered microservice. But then that that's it's all very well and good saying yeah. that. But like if that's just deployed if that's all deployed on one big host, uh-huh. is that still exactly. a microservice? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think we should learn a lesson from what Carl DB has taught us, and that is why in God's name would you break it up if you don't need to? What does it solve? Right? Yep. Yeah, what does it solve indeed? I, I think, and this is the best motivation I've heard for using microservices, that is, it is an organization thing. If your organization does not allow you to, to deploy your separate functionality swiftly, then you should break them up mm-hmm. into separate parts who are deployable by themselves. And this will give you that agility that, that was being promised by, by using microservices. But that, in my part, is the only good reason why sure. you should split it up, not split it up, because it's more it's more than three entities in, in one service. Ah, oh, we can't have that. Yeah, no, that's yeah, not true. Yeah. So how about, the only other argument I think I would make is if you've got something that can truly scale, you know, if you've got something that you're you're breaking mm-hmm. up because you can individually scale different components because they receive different loads based on different use cases. Again, I think that makes a lot more sense um, to, to to break them up that yep, way. I think that's well. that's the only other kind of argument that I can really yeah, think. Maybe of. a bit more general, non. But that's also that's also mm-hmm. deployment. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I was saying. I think what what 
one of the points you make there is, is a bit broader looking at it. It's it's non-functional requirements. If they have a very different life cycle of, of evolution, uh, mm-hmm. if they have a very different load uh, characteristic, these are all good arguments to uh, have a logical approach to maybe it's better to split uh, things f- uh, up a bit further. And the other side, maybe the business side, uh, it's a natural fit with, with uh, newer cost models where uh, paper user or having a, a very modular approach to selling uh, stuff. Um, and so that's mm. a natural fit to say, well, we if we just have a monolith and we need to sell that and have one set license fees because the maintenance is just the same for the entire monolithical block. Um, it's a different approach these days that more and more there's the evolution towards having a very modular approach in, in selling parts of it. Uh, so it's a natural fit with, with some of these cases, so the non-functionals and the, the business side. Uh, but mm. other than that, yeah, not really. Yeah. Are we willing to say that, on the other hand, a monolithical architecture is always bad and you should have some decoupling at least? Or are there still places where a monolithical application makes sense? Some companies are not ready Certainly. for the alternative. I think. And some applications are so, are so simple that they just they don't see, need yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But, but can you talk Thank talk you. about a monolith exactly. when it's a simple application? Yeah. Yes. Doesn't it apply certain complexity? Uh, Not necessarily, I think. I mean, no. ask okay. the marketeers, they will tell you all about it. <laughs> I, 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 I hardly talk to marketeers. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm still waiting for the day that Microsoft Calculator becomes a microservice distributed application. That that really needs to happen. Using Carl DB, yeah. of course. I, I, yeah, I need highly available to Microsoft Calculator. Actually, I, I'm, I'm hoping that Minesweeper will also become um, fully multi-tenant in the future. Ah, oh. concurrent access would be fun. That, that exists. Awesome. Place. We are going down. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we reached point number three. <laughs> we Mutex we lock. Point number four. Cloud native in practice. Um. Well, there are, there are some some uh, things that I uh, did jot down. It's not much actually. Uh, yeah, so it's a lot about uh, increasing agility. Developers can practice continuous delivery. All of these great promises. But uh, so at Quarry, we've we've been there. So we've actually tried to do this. We have a lot of fits uh, with with this article. So we we find a lot of the of the underlying thoughts. Uh, we share those. However, in practice, uh, <laughs> Cloud Native in practice, that's actually the title, that's perfect. Uh, but in practice, it proves to be a little different, actually. Um, we see there is a great um, divide between the realm of thoughts and, and the realm of practice in, in case of, for example, the, the whole uh, continuous delivery thing, right? So one of the promises that, that was made was um, you'll be able to deploy up to I don't know, hundreds of times per day using this and this and that. But this is actually quite complex. And we see that a lot of the tools in the in the cloud native ecosystem. So, for example, you have the, the package manager mm-hmm. uh, helm, uh, which is, I think, the most one of the most uh, vital parts of the of the entire ecosystem. Helm, for example, has and I might get some uh, some hate mail for this, but I think uh, Helm Helm is not ideal for a continuous delivery scenario. Um, and you notice that when you try to do the the cool stuff like GitOps, it really gets in the way. And 
we're actually now struggling with this. Um, and you see things like um, like Flux, that was actually a WeaveWorks uh, product that now graduated mm -hmm. in the CNCF. Uh, now it's still in Sandbox, I think. Um, so it's now become a CNCF uh, project. And then you see that those are two very different directions that they take. And that also makes me wonder, yeah, reasons to start cloud native. Okay, the, the benefits are there. But for me, that's a reason not to start it because the direction is still not very clear. And it's still a lot of searching, a lot of manual beta downloading and, and jerking around with it. So it's, it's, still, it's still not a streamlined process. Although, I must say, uh, there are a lot, and, and that's what they also say, you have a platform, you have a common platform, you can use it across different cloud providers with a little bit of, of nudging uh, mm -hmm. now and then. But it's, it's fairly easy to get started with it, but when you get down to the nitty-gritty and you really want to go the whole way, then it easily disintegrates again. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't, why I wouldn't um, advise companies to go all the way in already yeah makes sense makes sense so i think uh, i mean any any final sort of overarching thoughts about the paper before we wrap that up i think from my side i think it's uh it's it's very much the the two points that were made for me is that a lot of the uh arguments and and definitely the titles uh, uh they can you can argue both ways uh, often and often they're mm -hmm. not really strictly linked to going cloud native they're just mature handling of your uh, software engineering cycle or mm. your or, or your devops cycle how you want to uh, go about that that's a very important part yeah. and i think the 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 second point for me is that the level that the introduction very carefully going through it if that's still needed in a white paper uh, aimed from from a very technical point of view to to a technical savvy audience working with kubernetes weaveworks um, it's it's a real reality check on what we have to tell as a story each day in companies that are really miles away from from the kind of topics we we like to discuss and the assumption we make about the maturity now and then uh. yeah yeah, and I, th I think that's that's gonna that's gonna be the case for a long time. I think it's very easy to assume a certain level of knowledge and understanding, but uh, I think it's really important to do a level set and to make sure that uh, you know you might be invited to go and talk about DevOps or GitOps or microservices or, God forbid, building a database on Kafka, but. You know, you need to make sure that people really understand um, some of the basics first, and it might just be a very quick conversation. But you know, you never know. You never know whether actually you'll find out that you know understanding or expectations aren't quite what you thought, and uh, that can that can be a real saving grace sometimes. So, with that, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up our discussion around the uh, the. WeaveWorks white paper and uh, you know you guys have been great guests we'd like to give you the chance to uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, Kiori and um, you know where where can people find you what uh, what cool things are you up to <laughs> yeah um we're not really great marketeers, as we've discussed before. <laughs> so we, we uh, uh, we're very um, 
I think the points we've discussed, the the, the technical complexity. As a, as a company, we say, well, there's a, a lot of customers out there that have really good business ideas and have people focusing on that with uh, with a lot of business knowledge. But just really investing in these kind of topics that you talk about every week and that we uh, do in, in practice every, uh, every day, it's it's not really for them. So what we try to offer as a company, Corey, is behind the scenes uh, often, uh, offer that as a managed service. Say, look, uh, what is your preferred uh, cloud provider? Um, uh, and what kind of tools are you using? And what is really not that interesting for you to really uh, keep keep maintaining? And uh, as architects, we can also say, look, we, we out of the box uh, have a, a number of uh, best practices that we can enforce, certain maturity level that we can introduce. So that's what we try to offer as some sort of a, a loose, loosely coupled package um, uh, just to, to help uh, customers focus more on, on really their, their business value and not on this stuff while it's really fun for us it's probably not that much fun for a lot of the <laughs> companies out there fantastic fantastic yeah so what we try yeah what we try to do is is we listen to a business case and then we try to match components around a, a kappa architectural thoughts so we 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 pick and match uh with open source components and then uh we try to do all of the best practices concerning devops gitops uh, data ops even as well uh, and and just the, the best way to combine all of those and offer that to that specific customer as a service indeed so we, we try to deliver them a caref- a carefree uh, experience that's actually what we try to do nice nice and uh, I've got to ask does does Corey actually mean anything where did the name come from <laughs> Yes, it's um, uh, internally we had a. It, we started in in about 2014 uh, with a, with a, a seminar series about the 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 taglines the then of the Hortonworks and the uh, and Cloudera and, and really saying like this is uh, you just need big data and a data lake and it sucks up all your data and everything will be really smooth sailing from there on. Um, so we did some series uh, around that uh, in explaining to our customers, like, be a bit careful. Um, but it took a while for really it, it to mature. So internally, we had the name at the start, like, uh, how do you call a reference architecture for such an ecosystem? So we just had the title of a data platform, but soon it's also an integration platform. So uh, we didn't know. So at a certain point, we said, well, it's just the, the, the cortex. It's just everything connecting, uh, taking the input and connecting it. And at that point already, legal said like, oh, great name, but that's never gonna fly. So um, once we really had to have a name that we could trademark, we did uh, some uh, brainstorming sessions around it. And it turns out uh, that the Finnish translation, like number 15 uh, uh, on the the definition list for Quarry is is the the (laughs) translation of Cortex. So we just looked at at a number of of, uh, ridiculous IDs and that was one that came out and it just sounds uh, like something that that fits so we just uh, stuck with that yeah marketing people said it was sexy so (laughs) (laughs) brilliant we have to trust other people on telling us uh, when something (laughs) is sexy (laughs) i still think it's uh, serving yourself short saying you're not good marketeers you got us over 100 youtube subscribers guys i mean that's all up to you yeah fantastic work fantastic work yeah. <laughs> it was bound, yeah, it sure. was bound to happen. You deserve it. 
true. All right. And I th- in the, with that, I think we're about wrapped up. Anything else from you, Jan? No, it's been great talking to uh, to the guys, Niels and Carlo here. We had good discussions, I think. So uh, thanks for being here. It was fun. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Thanks Perfect. for having us. And with that, that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. We're also on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all that YouTube stuff. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page, more information about the podcast, and you can also follow us, or more likely follow Jon, on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag. Send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Dave. And my name is Jon. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then.